Welcome to Christian Faith Center. We're a church that meets in multiple locations. If you'd like to know more about our church, just head to our website, experiencecfc.com. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Hey, come on. Isn't this an exciting time? Good stuff going on. And uh, we're so thankful for everybody that's a part of it. But one of the greatest opportunities to get connected at CFC is on a Groove Sunday. So hope to see you there. We launch groups three times a year. So always a fresh opportunity for people to get to know other people. Well, how many are ready for the Bible today? Okay, awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, we've been in a series called Trust Issues. Trust Issues. This is week five of our series, Trust Issues. And so just be encouraged by that. If somebody brought you to church today, they must have thought you had trust issues. All right. I'm kidding. But, uh, but it's been such a great series, and we're so excited to be in it. And I want you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And I've got a, a word I really believe is going to encourage your life. Luke chapter 5. If you're new to the Bible, that's in the New Testament. So just open your Bible to the middle. Make a short right or pull out your phone and click there. And uh, we'll give you just a moment to grab it. If you're totally lost and have no idea what's going on, we got your back. We'll throw it on the screen behind me. But Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, um, we're going to read the first 10 verses in this chapter. And uh, I, I think I've got a, a, very, a very unique message that's going to encourage your life today. So Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, shout yes when you found it. All right, Luke chapter 1. Or excuse me, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, says this. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. Isn't it amazing? The Word of God has always built people, has always attracted people. How many just love the Word of God? And it still does today. People still gather to hear the Word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out from the water. And so he sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all night and did not catch a thing. Now, you read your Bible how you want, but I'm sensing a little bit of sass, okay, in this passage here. Master, we worked all night and caught nothing. Listen to what he said. But if you say so, I'll let down my nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Then Simon Peter realized what had happened, and he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, and as were the others with him. And his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. Love that word. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. They left everything and followed Jesus. 
Would you join me in prayer? And let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts for what he has for us today. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for the treasure of the Word of God. We thank you that this is not an old book full of old stories that has no relevance to our life, but this is the living Word of God that we open today. And Lord, we ask that your voice would resonate through it, that you would speak to us, that you would build our lives. Lord, I pray for a unique word for every single person in here, for you are able to divide what is said and send it into the hearts of each person to build them. So may our lives be bigger and better and more like Jesus because of the word of the Lord that is preached to us today. And I ask for this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, if if I had more time, I could give you a whole autobiography of Peter and how he met Jesus, but I'm just going to sum this up because I think it's important for us to know that this was not the first time that Peter had met Jesus. This was not. As a matter of fact, uh, Peter's brother Andrew had kind of joined Jesus' team. He'd been a follower of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, and had met Jesus and started to follow him, believing that he was the Messiah. And Andrew, like like, come on, any good Christian had invited his brother into it to say, hey, listen, I, I've met Jesus. I, I've met Jesus, and I think there's something special about Jesus. And so Jesus actually meets Peter. His name is Simon. But Jesus meets Peter, and in the initial meeting, he said, ooh, Simon, I, I like you. Your name actually is going to be Petra or Peter, which means rock. And so how would you like to meet Jesus? And day one, he gives you a nickname. Come on, somebody. I like that about Jesus. He just connected with Peter. So Peter had had this awesome, have you ever thought about Andrew? Like, what about Andrew? Andrew, like, left, left Team John the Baptist, started on Team Jesus, and introduces his brother, and it's like, Jesus likes my brother better than me right away. All right? Like, where's Andrew's nickname? Come on. No nickname for Andrew? Come on. There's nothing. But anyway, so he meets him, and Jesus has this cool connection with Peter. But I want to point something out, that now Jesus is having these big gatherings, Jesus is teaching. His ministry is going public. Thousands of people would gather to hear Jesus teach on the kingdom of God, to open up the word of God to people in a way they could understand. Jesus was doing miracles. He would heal the sick and open the eyes of the blind. He's casting demons out of people that were demonized and tormented. Jesus is causing an uproar, all right? And this is not a big area. It's probably important for you to know that. Now, I was born in a tiny little town in Montana called Shelby, about 3,000 people. And when I was nine years old, I moved to the big city of Nampa, Idaho. (laughs) Now, I'm an old-timer. I've been around here a long time. When I moved to Nampa, there was 27,000 people in the city of Nampa. And I thought I moved to, like, New York, New York, or Las Vegas, Nevada. I mean, I went from 3,000 little country bumpkin town to 27,000. I 10X'd anything I'd ever experienced before. So the big city of Napa, Idaho. But growing up in Napa, I mean, you, you go to a gas station, you know somebody. You go to Walmart, you know somebody. You go to Fred Meyer, you know somebody. Everywhere you go, you know somebody. Now, things have changed just a little bit in the last handful of years, you know. As a pastor, I kind of like it, by the way. Um, but uh, things have changed just a little bit. But it's important to know something. It's important to know that this was not a big area. So when you have thousands of people, when there's only thousands of people, Within walking distance, it's a big deal. So Jesus is teaching, and droves of people are coming out. And Peter had had this incredible experience with Jesus, and it's important to note 
that Peter is not at church with Jesus. There's thousands of people gathering at the shores of, 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 of Galilee, and Peter is in the boat, just a little ways away from church that Jesus is having, and thousands of people are there. And he's teaching them the kingdom, and they've gathered to hear Jesus teach. And there's thousands of people in front of Jesus that have come to hear the word of God and see the ministry of Jesus. And Peter is off behind, and he's fishing. He skipped church to go fishing. And he'd had this cool encounter with Jesus. And so listen, I'm reading this passage and I thought, you know, this is, we, we look at this passage, but it's really not that uncommon because most people have had some kind of an introduction to Jesus. Most people have had some kind of an introduction. They've encountered Jesus. They've been introduced to Jesus. A family member told them about Jesus or brought them to church where they had an experience with Jesus. But you have this experience with Jesus, but you kind of go on with your life, living life at a distance, not so much that you can't see or hear about what Jesus is doing, but just far enough away that you're not really impacted by it. And I think it's interesting that here's Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is so close that he can see Peter, and Peter can see Jesus. So Peter, he's close enough to see, but not really close enough to be impacted by what Jesus is doing. He's content to be close, but not involved. He, he's content to be, to be busy with life, but not really blessed by Jesus. He's so close to what Jesus is doing, he can, he can hear it and he can see it, but he's far enough away from what Jesus is doing that it doesn't impact his life. But I'm really encouraged by this reality that even though Jesus had experienced, excuse me, even though Peter had experienced Jesus and met him and didn't really seem to be that interested in what Jesus was doing, Jesus was still interested in Peter. Peter didn't really seem to care about what Jesus was doing, but Jesus cared about Peter. And can I just tell you that I'm grateful I'm grateful to God for that reality, that even in the times when I wasn't concerned about God, God was concerned about me. And even in the times when I didn't really care what God was doing, God cared about what I was doing, and he cared about what was going on in my life. And when, when my concern was, was wrapped up in just everyday life and the things that I got going on and wasn't really concerned about what God was doing, God was still concerned about me. That's a powerful reality that even when you don't think about God at all, friends, he thinks about you. When you don't see him, he sees you. And I want to give you just a few observations that I had from this, this text today. If you're new today, you'll find out that I believe the perfect sermon is three points long. Come on, somebody. But I want to give you three thoughts today that I believe will encourage you. I would, I would encourage you to write these down because, well... We'll be able to think about them later. But I want you to jot them into your, your phones, write them on something, and I believe God's going to speak to us and encourage us with these three thoughts. The first thing I want to submit to you is this, that in this text, Jesus noticed, he noticed what was empty. I think it's important anytime the Bible tells us that Jesus noticed something to pay attention to that. Because what people notice speaks a lot about who they are and what they care about. 
And a lot of us have a lot of ideas about God, but if we were to really look at the life of Jesus Christ, and we were to look at the things that he noticed in this life, I think a lot of our opinions and ideas about God would change. Because I found that the things that Jesus noticed were not the things that most people noticed. What drew Jesus' attention are not the things that drew most people's attention. Jesus seemed to be attracted to those in need. He seemed to be attracted to those on the outside. He seemed to be attracted to those that were broken and marginalized and outcast. He seemed to be attracted to those in positions of high stature but were empty on the inside and found their life unfulfilling. Jesus seemed to be attracted to and concerned about the needs of people around him. Jesus notices what is empty. Luke chapter 5 verse 2, it said he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. The fishermen had left them. So I want to paint a picture for you because it's important that we see what's happening here. Jesus is probably teaching thousands of people that are in front of him. They've gathered at the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and people from all over, probably all over, not just the towns, but the region, had walked as far as they could, gathered there to hear the teaching of Jesus, and with thousands in front of him, he notices the few behind him. Think about that for a second. Here's here's Peter on the shore behind Jesus, obviously close enough to be seen and heard, but far enough away to not really be involved with what's going on. Thousands in front of Jesus. He's teaching, ministering, and Jesus notices the four people that are off to the side behind him. And he sees the empty boats while they're washing their nets in defeat for the day. Isn't it wild that with thousands in front of him, he still sees the few that are behind him? Thousands on the inside of his ministry. Thousands of people that had a desire and a focus to actually be present. Thousands on the inside. And yet Jesus engages intentionally with the few that are on the outside. See, I love this about Jesus that even when we forget about him, he doesn't forget about us. And even when we don't pay attention to him, friends, he's paying attention to you. He sees you. He knows you. And even when we're not paying attention, he is. You know what I love about Jesus? One of the many things I love about Jesus is he's not just an inside God. There's thousands here on the inside, plugged in, focused on what's happening in the teaching and the ministry of Jesus. And yet Jesus has a focus on the outside of what's going on. You know, so often in the church, we get a reputation for just being focused, almost like a religious club. Well, it's about the inside, and it's about the four walls of the church. Can I tell you, the kingdom of God and the king of our kingdom is not just an inside God. No, friends, he's an outside God, too. And his church can never just be an inside church. We've always got to be an outside church. Friends, Christian Faith Center will always be a church that is concerned about not those that are not just those that are on the inside, come on, but those that are on the outside too. Because Jesus is not just an inside God. He's not just focused on the needs of those that are in. No, he sees the needs of those that are on the outside. He sees those that are on the outside of salvation. He sees those that are on the outside of healing, on the outside of hope, on the outside of freedom. He sees you. He's an outside God too. And I love this with thousands in front. He sees the needs of the few behind. And he engages them. 
And can I just tell you that Jesus, he doesn't just notice their empty boats. No, friends, he notices their empty efforts too. Can we just pause here and lean into that for a second? Because our human tendency is to really grab a hold of the things that are familiar and comfortable, even if they're not healthy or fruitful. And we'll try over and over. We'll give all of our effort time and time again, even if it does not produce the result that we really need it to see in our lives. We'll do this with our relationships, leaning into the same old folks, the same old way, seeing the same old results. We'll do this with our pursuits. We'll go after the same old things, see the same old results, and get the same old empty result. We'll do the same things over and over and over again, holding on to them. We'll use our money the same way, even though we come up empty. We'll use our time the same way, even though it comes up short. We'll do relationships the same way, even though it's not fruitful. And we'll do the same thing over and over again. And I'm so encouraged that Jesus doesn't just see their empty boats. No, he sees their empty efforts. And he inserts himself into their lives and into their situation. How many times do we hold on to what doesn't work just because we know it and are comfortable with it? We do this even in our spirituality. Well, you know, I've been pursuing I'm not, I'm not a Christian, I'm spiritual. I don't follow Jesus, but I'm, I'm spiritual. Well, where has that led you? Spirituality outside of God himself is empty. Where has it led you? It's, it's, we try the same things, but they don't produce the results that we want to see in our life. We'll do the same thing because it's comfortable, but it doesn't produce for us what, what we really need to see. In a, there's no change. There's no impact. There's no transformation. There's no joy. There's no hope on the inside. There's no fruit from it. And yet in all of this, Jesus engages them all the same. And I love this, that Jesus just goes ahead and steps right in. He doesn't wait for an invitation. He just jumps right into their life. And what I love about this is it, it tells me that my life doesn't need to be perfect for Jesus to step into it. It tells me that I don't have to be successful for Jesus to step into my life. If anything, they were in a moment of failure. They had come up empty and come up short, and yet that is the context in which Jesus steps in to their life. This encourages me because it tells me even if my, my, my efforts, my best efforts came up short, Jesus still wants to step into my life. It tells me that I don't have to be successful, that I don't have to be perfect, that I don't have to know all the things I don't have to, it tells me that even if my Saturday night wasn't the best, my Sunday morning can still be filled with Jesus. Tells me my life doesn't have to be polished and put together for Jesus to see me and to desire to come close to my life. But see, not only does Jesus see them, but he comes near. And I want you to write this down, it's my second thought. Jesus doesn't just see what is empty. No, Jesus uses what is empty. He uses what is empty. Look at Matthew, look, excuse me, look at Luke chapter 5, verse 3. I love this. It says Jesus just stepping into one of the boats. Picture this. Peter's been fishing all night. He's cleaning his nets. It's a chore. 
And Jesus just gets into his boat, who, by the way, was just teaching thousands of people just moments before this. So I don't know. You read your Bible how you want. But it seems to me Jesus disengages from this massive crowd, and he walks over to Peter and starts engaging with this guy who skipped church to go fishing, doesn't even get anything. Awkward. He's washing his nets. He's like, oh, my gosh, there's thousands of people. Hurry up. Clean the nets. We got to get out of here. This is weird. Jesus walks over, and he just gets in. He just gets into his boat. There's no record that he's like, hey, Pete, remember me? Yeah, you know your brother Andrew? He's on my team now. Remember? I was the guy that called you the rock. Gave you that cool nickname. Hey, if it'd be all right with you, do you think it's cool that I just get in your boat a little bit? Maybe I can finish tea. No, it just says he gets in, and then he asks Simon. He goes, push it out in the water. And then sat down in the boat and started teaching the crowds from there. Can you imagine this? Jesus just, hey. Hey, Peter. How's it going? Yeah, I was just teaching all these people over here. I was just wondering, you mind pushing out a little bit? Let's get a little distance. Let's get a little distance between me and, uh, you know, the shoreline. Mind you pushing me out? Uh, Sure, Jesus. So Jesus pushed out. Now listen, we read the text, and it's so easy to take this for granted, but can I just point something out? Jesus probably steps into his boat, And I can imagine that Peter is not feeling overly worthy to be used in this moment. Number one, he just skipped church to go fishing. (laughs) Jesus jumps in. There's nothing in his boat. Now listen, I don't care who you are. If somebody that's important in your community and that you respect walks up to your fishing spot and you've been there all day long and you don't have one fish to show for it, any man in here is going to feel like a loser. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Y'all be lying. You'll be like, yeah, it's catch and release. You know, it's (laughs) caught a lot of them. Biggest one was like 14 pounds. That was huge. But I'm just doing it for sport right now. Put them back. I'm a vegan right now. Just leafy greens, that's all, you know. It's just for sport. No, so Peter doesn't feel overly useful. I'm sure he doesn't feel overly qualified. And now here's this crazy rabbi sitting in his boat teaching thousands of people. And Peter's probably just off here to the side like, I guess I'm a part of this now. Yes, Jesus just jumped right in. I'm just stuck here until he's done. Don't want to interrupt the sermon. Can't just stop and, you know, use the bathroom off the side while Jesus is teaching. I'm just kind of stuck here now. And I realize this because I feel like a lot of people, a lot of people that I encounter feel unworthy to be used by God. And I really just want to highlight something because Peter arguably is having a real bad moment. He doesn't even look like a good fisherman. He, looks, he could have been a great fisherman, but in this moment, he looks pretty weak. His boat's empty. He's disappointed. He's discouraged. 
This rabbi just jumps into his boat and he's pushed out. I got nothing to offer but this empty boat, so I might as well, you know, paddle it all out. And you know what I've realized? After 15 years now following Jesus, here's what I've realized. I've realized that Jesus is not looking for the coolest cat on the block. He's not looking for the most qualified cat on the block. Jesus is less concerned about your ability, and he's much more concerned about your availability. What made Peter qualified to be used by Jesus was not his ability. It was not his great accomplishments. It was not his great catch for the night. It was not his attitude. Probably wasn't even his language. We know Peter still cussed. Oh, come on, don't play like like you don't love Jesus, but still cuss a little. You at least remember all the words. Come on, somebody. Just be honest and say, Jesus is still working on me. So here's, here's Peter. Here's Peter. It's his availability that qualified him to be used by God. Can I just tell you, all of you are qualified to be used by God. All of you have a great purpose and destiny in God. Jesus did not create you to not have a great plan for your life. And it's not what you do know and what you don't know. It's not how you failed. It's not what you don't have that holds you back. It is only your availability that God is looking for in this season. I believe God is moving in this earth right now and that we are on the verge of an unprecedented move of God in our nation. And I'm telling you, even prophetically right now, what Jesus is looking for is not the people that are going to pretend like they've got it all figured out. It's not the people that are going to pretend like they know it all. It's going to be the people that say, Jesus, I might not have much, but what I have, I give to you. Here's my life. Here's my boat. It might be empty. It might be old. It might be broken. It might not have the best track record. But if you want to get in my life, if you want to get in my boat, if you want to use me for your glory and for your namesake, here I am. Come on in. I'll push out from shore and let you use my life. It is your availability. Friends, God can use you. Friends, God wants to use you. He was never looking for you to be the greatest. He was looking for you to be available Jesus knew who you would be. He knows what you can become. And he knew exactly what you would possess when he created you. And he's got a plan for your tomorrow. And what Jesus is looking for is not people that have it all put together. No, it's friends, it's people that will be honest about who they are and will be honest about what they have and will say, Jesus, whatever I got, you can use for your glory and for your kingdom. Builds your church in me. Builds your church through me. My life is a vessel for you to step into. Come on, if you're with me, say amen. That's what Jesus is looking for. He'll use what is empty. I could go a little bit farther, and I could actually say what qualified Peter's boat to actually be used by God in this moment was the very fact that it was empty. So maybe, maybe if you're here and you feel like, I feel a little empty spiritually, I feel a little empty in my life, maybe that doesn't disqualify you. Maybe it's the very thing that qualifies you to be used by God powerfully. Maybe it's just you need to posture your life to say, Jesus, I'm in an empty place, but here I am. I feel really unworthy, but Jesus, I'm here for you to have your way in my life. Use me, whatever I got, Jesus, it's yours. It was the emptiness that qualified them 
to be used powerfully. Man, how often do we think we need to be a certain way? Man, if I was just more intelligent, if I was just more spiritual, maybe God could do something with No, no, no. No, friends, if you make yourself available, Jesus will make you able. One of my favorite passages is Ephesians 3.20. And it says this, it says, Now all glory to God, who is able. He is an able God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Friends, can I tell you that your boat, your life, is more than enough because we serve a God that is more than able. Your life is more than enough because we serve a God that is more than able. It has always been more about His power working in and through us than it was about us. Your life's enough. I want you to say this, say, I'm enough to be used by God. Say it again, say, I'm enough to be used by God. Friends, He wants to be in your boat. He wants to use your life. Jesus uses what is empty. My final thought, let me give this to you, you can write it down. Jesus doesn't just use what is empty, Jesus restores what is empty. I would be leaving out such a great reality of this passage if I just left you on, well, Jesus wants to use your life. You know, Jesus wants to do more than turn you into a vessel for His glory. No, Jesus wants to personally restore every aspect of your life as well. Jesus wants to personally restore you. It's not like Jesus just popped out of Peter's boat and that was the end of the story. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for the mobile pulpit. Appreciate it. Appreciate all that. I'm out. If you ever want to hang sometime, you know where to find me. I'll be around the corner by the horse stable. Like, no. That's not what happened in this story at all. Matter of fact, let's look at Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. It said when Jesus had finished speaking, he wrapped up his sermon. And he said, Simon... Now think about this. He didn't get out of the boat. He just wraps up the message. Amen. Have a great day. See you guys next time. And then he turns over to Peter and he says, go out where it's deeper, Peter. And let down your nets to catch some fish. And Peter goes, Master, (laughs) listen, man. We worked all last night and didn't catch a thing. (sighs) But if you say so. I'll let down my nets one more time. I'll give it one more shot. I'll let down my nets one more time for a catch. Matter of fact, if I had to give today's message a title, I would call it this, trust enough to try again. Trust enough to try again. Peter had already tried. How many dozens of times had Peter thrown the net? How many dozens of times had he pulled it back in, empty? How many dozens of times had he gotten more frustrated each and every time? Because as he pulled his net in, it came up empty. You know what? Here's what I've realized is that nothing stays the same when Jesus gets involved. I don't know everything, but I know some things. And one thing I know is that when Jesus gets involved in somebody's life, that life 
has no choice but to change for the better. If Jesus is who the Scripture says He is, and I believe with all of my heart He is, then He is God Almighty, God in the flesh. And when Jesus shows up, He doesn't show up a fraction of what He really is. No, every time Jesus showed up, there were miracles taking place. If things were dead, people came back to life. If things were broken, things got restored. If people were sick, they got healed. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, it's the dead bodies started waking up all over the place. Why? Because resurrection power hit that whole area. When Jesus showed up, he shows up as he is. He's God, and he has all power in the palm of his hand. And every bit of creation instantly responds to what the creator asks of it to do. If Jesus said, fish, get in the net, fish, get in the net. If Jesus says, get up, they get up. If he tells demons to flee, they have to flee. If he tells sickness to be healed, it has to be healed. Because everything moves at the command of Jesus. Because he's God. So I found this out. When you get mixed up with God, your life begins to change. When I got mixed up with God, my life looked nothing like it looked now. I was mixed up with all kinds of other people. My life looked like the people I was mixed up with. Small, broken, addicted, far from God. Living a dark and shallow, empty life. And yet the moment I got mixed up with Jesus, everything began to change. My empty life became full. My addicted life became free. My broken heart became healed. My busted life got bigger and stronger. Everything began to change in my life. Why? Because I started getting mixed up with Jesus. And when Jesus gets involved in your life, he can't help but be who he is. He's the God Almighty. He's the everlasting God. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Don't expect Jesus to come into your life and you to get smaller and get worse. I've never met a single person that got into a relationship with Jesus and went, you know what? My life just got worse when I met Jesus. No, every person I've ever met said when I got into a relationship with Jesus, it didn't get easier, but it got better. My life didn't get easier, but it got bigger. Jesus began doing what Jesus does. He began restoring everything in Peter's life. He began restoring. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he restored their purpose. He restored their purpose. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were amazed when their nets overflowed. And, they, and Jesus said, don't be afraid from now on. You'll be fishing for people. I don't want you to miss this. They weren't doing the wrong thing, but they needed Jesus to bring clarity and purpose to their life. See, friends, God didn't make you one way to use you another. That passion that's inside of you, that dream that's in your heart, it's absolutely from God. Let me just speak faith into you a second. That dream that's been in you since you were a child, that gifting that's in your life, that thing that sets you apart from other people, that is in you by the power and the will of God. But can I just tell you, you won't use what God gave you apart from a relationship with the God who gave it to you. We need Jesus to come and bring clarity and bring purpose to the gifts of God that he's placed inside of us. It wasn't that they were doing the wrong thing. It's that they'd been doing it apart from Jesus. Listen, if it didn't work out last time you tried it, maybe what's missing is actually Jesus. Maybe what you need is Jesus to bring purpose and clarity. If your business is unfulfilling, maybe try it again with Jesus. If your marriage is unfulfilling, maybe try it again with Jesus. 
If you're getting frustrated and it seems to be empty, even though you know it's what God put in you, maybe you're not doing the wrong thing. Maybe you're not doing it with the right person. Maybe you need Jesus to come and bring clarity and bring purpose to your calling. And see, Jesus, he said, listen, yeah, you guys are doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, you need to be fishermen, but you need to be doing it for me. From now on, you'll be fishers of men. Oh, you're still going to fish, but baby, you're going to fish with me. You're going to fish for me. We're going to do kingdom work with the skill set you have naturally. He restored their purpose. Not only that, but can I just tell you, he restored their fortunes. Oh, yeah. Let me just pop into this for a second. I've never met a single person who serves Jesus that would ever say it wasn't worth it. But I've met so many people that their testimony would be this. Oh, Jesus is so worth it. What he's done for me and in me, oh, it's worth it. Not a single apostle's testimony would ever have been Jesus wasn't worth it. Matter of fact, when Peter one time, his faith was down, his attitude was down, he goes, what about me, Jesus? You know, I left all this to follow you. And Jesus said, oh, you'll be rewarded in this life, Peter, and the next. Oh, it'll be worth it to follow me. I felt like early this morning, God gave me a word for you, church. God put a burden on my heart for people that have lost so much over the last couple of years. People that have had their joy robbed, their hope robbed, their faith robbed, their finances robbed, their life robbed from them. I felt like the Lord told me to tell you this, in this season, it is your season to get back more than the devil stole from you. You're getting it all back. You're getting your joy back, your hope back, your peace back, your fortunes back. Jesus restored back to Peter more, more. And it wasn't just him that got blessed. Arguably, it's probably the biggest catch Peter ever had. And it didn't just fill his boat. No, it he had to call for his friends and they had to help shoulder the load too. Here's my prayer for you, that as you get mixed up with God in this season in a way like never before, here's my prayer. God would bless you so full of joy, so full of peace, so full of power in the Holy Spirit, so full of resources and vision and passion for God that it doesn't just fill your life. No, it bleeds over into the lives of your friends and your family members and all your boats get full. My prayer is all your boats get full. In Jesus' name. He restored Peter's fortunes. But most importantly, he restored their soul. See, I love this because when Peter realized what had happened, and I want you to see this picture, they, everything, I mean, he's taking everything they got to get this net in. Biggest catch they've ever had. Biggest return on their investment. Biggest payday they've ever had. He was a fisherman, by the way. They're sitting in the biggest hall they've ever had. The boats are sinking into the water from the weight of the catch. And the Bible doesn't say they got out of the boat. No, no. It said in the middle of the catch, Peter hits his knees. Surrounded by what was valuable to him just moments before. And looks up to Jesus and said, Jesus you got to get out of my boat. I'm not worthy. See, when you truly meet Jesus, nothing that was that important to you before stays that important. Because when you see how amazing Jesus is, all other things pale in comparison to who he is. We talked early, don't, early about don't love money. Money pales in comparison to Jesus. 
purpose pales in comparison to Jesus. All of this life pales in comparison to Jesus because you realize that he is the source of all good things. May we never fall in love with the gift. May we always be in love with the giver. He's a good God. And Peter said, forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me. And he fell to his knees. He said, I'm such a sinful man. And you know, in that moment, Jesus restored Peter. He invited Peter. He forgave Peter and brought Peter into a relationship with him. Gave him purpose. Gave him a mission. Gave him a part of what he was doing in the world. Well, what does this mean for us then? Well, Peter was a person just like you. It means if we're tired and if we're weary and if we're separated from real purpose, if we're skeptical and if we're discouraged, if we're full of excuses like Peter, can I just tell you, none of that, none of that turns Jesus off toward you. No, he wants to restore you. He wants to build your life. He wants to save you and mobilize you into this thing he is doing in the earth called the local church. See, Peter had every reason to be skeptical. Who is this crazy Messiah? Who is this radical rabbi that jumped into my boat and is talking all kinds of crazy? Peter had every excuse to be skeptical. And yet, Peter mustered up the faith to trust one more time. I'll trust Jesus one more time. I'll throw the nets over one more time. And it radically changed his life. It radically changed his life. See, what if the answer, friends, is not giving up on God? What if the answer, friends, is not deconstructing your faith? What if the answer, friends, is not walking away from Jesus going, maybe he doesn't see me, maybe he doesn't care, maybe he doesn't know me? What if the answer is trying again one more time, but this time with Jesus? Because so many Christians got delusioned because we were doing too much for Jesus, we forgot to do it with Him. We left our relationship to go do the things, and we found the things were empty without Him. What if the answer is Him Himself? And I believe that Jesus is calling people back to Him. He's calling us into relationship with Him. He's calling you to walk with Him. May we never leave our relationships with God. Because the greatest treasure is not what we do for God. It's not what we get from God. It's God Himself. He is the pearl of great price. He is the Lamb that was slain. He is the Son of God. He is our great treasure and great reward. And He is the restorer of our souls. Friends, what the devil has taken from you, what this life has broken in you, be assured of this. Jesus is a better restorer than this world is a destroyer. He can restore you. He desires to restore you. He said, Peter, just trust me enough to try again. One more time. Throw it off and watch what I will do with you. I want you to stand to your feet all across the room today. And I want to invite you into a very special space. I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here and at one point you had an amazing relationship with Jesus. 
But now you feel close enough to see what Jesus is doing, but not close enough to really be impacted by it. Oh, Jesus wants more for you than that. He wants more for you than that. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't even know what that means or what that looks like. Friends, can I tell you that we serve a God that loves you so much, he would rather die than live without you. And he proved it for us on that cross over 2,000 years ago when he laid his life down on a Roman cross, three nails and a crown of thorns, and gave up his life for me and you. The Bible tells us he was buried, dead, but on the third day, he rose from the grave, just as he said he would. And he is alive today, friends. See, every other religion, there's thousands of religions in the world. And for every person that ever claimed to be God, today you can go to their grave and you can visit that tomb and you can see their body that lies there. But there is only one person that ever claimed to be God and got back up from the dead and is alive forevermore. You know, you can go visit his tomb, not to see who's in it, but to see what's not. It's empty. He's alive. He is God. He is who he says he is. He did what he said he would do. And here's what he said. For any, any who would believe in me, any who would put their trust in me, any who would be bold enough to trust me enough to try again, I'll give them everlasting life. I'll forgive them. And I'll make their life so brand new. Jesus said it this way. He said, it'll be like you were born again. Brand new. It's the greatest gift, the greatest invitation anyone ever offered this world is what Jesus Christ offered me and you. He said, you don't have to be good enough. Your life doesn't have to be all put together. If you will trust me, I will show you that I am God. I will show you that I am good. I will fix your life. I will restore your purpose. I will give you a brand new heart and a brand new start. If you will only trust me enough to try life again, but this time with me. So with all heads up and all eyes open, I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to give you an opportunity to take advantage of the greatest gift ever offered to humanity. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ and the salvation of your soul. And it comes by faith, just saying, I I trust Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus and I receive the gift that he has for me today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive that and I'm going to pray with you. So on the count of three, if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I just know deep down inside, I know I'm not where I need to be with Jesus. And today, I need to reach out in faith and receive it. I'm going to give you an invitation to do that. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. You ready? One, two, three. All across the room, raise them high. High, high, high. High, 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 so we can see them. Stretch your faith. Stretch your arms. Listen, don't just reach your arms, but reach your faith out to heaven. I want to lead you in a prayer. Pray this prayer with me. Just pray. All of us will pray it together. But friends, those of you responding, pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, right now, I turn my life away from the old ways. And I turn my life to you, the only true God. I give you everything. I trust you enough to try again. But this time, with you, Jesus, be my God. Forgive my sin. Give me a new heart. Give me a new start. I am yours, and I will serve you forever. And I want you to make this declaration. Say, I believe that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God. Say, I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I believe that Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. And I give you my life, Jesus. Be Lord. Send your spirit to live inside of me. Give me a new heart. Give me a new start. And make this declaration. Say, I'm now a Christian saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, come on. Put your hands together. Give God praise. He's so good. He's so good.